As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, Very happy to be joined by probably the busiest man in hockey right now, Pierre Maguire. Uh, We're coming to you from the bottom of XL Energy Center before tonight's uh, wild Chicago Blackhawks game. And um, Pierre, your travel schedule, and I've run into you during the playoffs on the road uh, a couple years ago, or maybe even last year, you did every single Western Conference semi-series, if I'm right. Yeah, I did every game the St. Louis Blues played last year. That is unbelievable. Um, so I, I was busy last year. It was only supposed to be six times a week, but it found its way to be every day of every week. But you know what, Michael, it's such a treat. The playoffs are awesome. Uh, Two years ago, NBC came up to me in the Stanley Cup final was in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And they said, we'd like to try to get you to do more Western Conference games. And I said, I'm amenable to do whatever you ask me to do. You know, that's part of being on a team. You go by the role that they want created for you. And uh, it started last year. I did tons of games in the West, and it was just carried over into this year. I mean, I would tell you this. There's two different styles between the West and the East in terms of how the teams play. And the West is uh, stimulating. It's really fun to be around it. It really is. Um, Pierre McGuire, obviously NBC analyst, will be between the benches tonight. This is Straight from the Source. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, please go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Unbelievably fun uh, Alex Daylock feature on there today. I'm doing a Zach Parisi uh, feature for his 1,000th game on Thursday. His 1,000th game is actually Friday, but we're going to run the story Thursday where I went to his house 
um, about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, right before the break, and uh, sat down with his wife and his mom, which was a hoot. So you're going to want to read those stories. So again, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. I hope you have the draft story of when he got drafted by New Jersey and some of the things I said at the time. What did you say? Uh, I took a good shot at the New York Islanders. They, yes, I remember that. They drafted yep. Robert Nielsen, and uh, I remember before the pick, I said, well, this is pretty easy. In the old days, it was Gord Miller, Bob McKenzie, and I on the draft table. I said, this is probably the easiest pick the Islanders will ever have. There's only one guy <laughs> in this draft that wants to be an Islander, and it's Zach Parisi. And the biggest reason why, his father played there and was a very good player. He and Jude Duran were phenomenal players for the Islanders. People forget that. And all of a sudden, the New York Islanders are proud to select <laughs> from uh, Sweden, Robert Nilsson. And I said, well, there you go. That's why some teams win, and that's why some teams <laughs> lose. And uh, Lou Lamorello was the general manager of New Jersey, Mike, and he actually made a deal to move up mm -hmm. so that he could get Zach. San Jose took uh, Bernier, Steve Bernier, and then New Jersey made a deal to move up so that they could get Zach. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and I mean, it's unbelievable the maneuver, and that sometimes happens in these drafts. I remember Montreal and Minnesota were playing a little cloak-and-dagger game, and Miko Koiva was up. Montreal wanted to take him to have Saku and Miko, and Minnesota made it very clear that they were going to take Mike Komisarek, and so so Montreal didn't hop over him, and there you go. They That's took a little Miko. Doug Riseborough, Jacques Lemaire, Montreal <laughs> magic. They knew how the game was played. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you up here um, a, a lot about also this upcoming draft and, and things like that. Um, but but just, just back to your schedule, um, how how do you do it in the playoffs? Because the one thing you mentioned, though, a different style in the Western Conference, but the travel is so much harder. Have you ever had uh, you know, a close call where you missed one of these games, or what's that been like? Not in the playoffs. I've had it in the regular season when the weather's been a little bit more dicey, Mike, but once the playoffs start, usually the weather's pretty good, so we're okay that way. Um, probably the hardest turnaround I had last year was I had a game in San Jose on a Saturday night. Uh, it almost went to overtime. It didn't. I got to the airport in San Francisco I flew from San Francisco to Minneapolis-St. Paul and then Minneapolis-St. Paul right to Dallas. I got in around 7.30 in the morning, I think, 8.30 in the morning. The game was starting at 12.30. Wow. So I went to the hotel, um, took a shower, went up to the gym, worked out. I needed a shower just to wake up. Worked out in the gym upstairs at the hotel, came back, took a shower, went to the rink, did the game, and just chilled out after the game. So how in a, in a situation like that do you prep? I mean, obviously, we all, we all know that you're an encyclopedia when it comes to these players, but, you know, I just was down here. I saw you talking to Eric Stahl, talking to Ryan Suter. The stuff you say during telecast just don't doesn't happen without you doing a lot of pregame prep. That's got to be a tough part. That's a good question. You know what, I uh, – First of all, I know where most of the players do because I study the tactics and tendencies and trends in the league, what certain general managers like in players, what some organizations try to do in terms of style. So there's lots of different fits. So I kind of watch it that way. Um, but more than anything else, I kind of watch a lot of tape. You know, I watch a lot of tape to see, okay, what's trending for Minnesota coming into this? You know, why is their penalty killing not better? Yeah. Uh, just little things like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, you see me here talking to you, and I don't have any stats in front of me, but their penalty kill is a problem. Yeah. 30 goals allowed in their last 87 chances. So it's it's something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, if you look at the play, I know Miko was hurt for a while, and he's one of their top penalty killers, but there are other things that are mm -hmm. affecting that. Maybe Devin Dubnik not being right. around is another thing. So those are the kinds of things you kind of watch for, the game within the 
Right. Wanted to also ask you, and I got so many questions from readers for you as well. Great. Um, but but twice now you've you've been up for the wild GM job. Uh, once where you came in here, I remember having dinner with you at the Capitol Grill before your interview, and then this past uh, look as well. Um, I guess without kind of giving totally inside secrets, um, what were some of the things that maybe you impressed upon Craig Leopold? Because a lot of a lot of times, you know, that's also what he's looking for is what other outside experts like yourself think about his team one of the first things they told him is you got to be an expert in your own area and one of the things that's happened to the minnesota wild is they haven't drafted enough kids from minnesota mm-hmm. um you know there's one draft where maddie niskanen went you know late in the first round tj oshi from war road went late in the first round um you know they had the fourth pick overall if you look at it and, you know it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to turn out I don't like to give all the names, but I'll give you the names of the kids that have been successful and not pick on the ones that haven't been as successful. Um, so I think, especially with all the, the USHL teams around here, the importance of high school hockey here. Uh, the, back in the day when that first interview was the WCHA, um, which is still going, uh, the Big Ten now with Minnesota and Wisconsin in particular, uh, the power of Minnesota Duluth. I mean, I told him both times um, – that you really needed to be an expert in your own area. And I don't think they have been as expert as they need to be, but I think they're getting there now. I think Billy will come in and understand that. Billy learned from a lot of good people. He was drafted by Lou Lamorello and David Conti. Back in the day, they were as good as there was in the league. You know, he he played uh, with some really good players. He learned from Larry Robinson. I mean, there are a lot of – he worked for Ray Shiro. He's worked for a lot – Jimmy Rutherford. He's worked for some amazing people. So – I think they'll f- eventually get it figured out here. Do you, um, you know, one one that that you know, right when Wild fans are listening to you say this, I'm sure that they're thinking right away is Brock Besser versus Yul Eriksson Eck. Is that one, you know, from all of our standpoints, it seems like a no brainer because he he grew up down the road. But is that a no brainer? Because when I talk to scouts, even still today, they say to me a lot of times, "Hold your horses on ripping." the previous staff for that, that everybody in the league would have taken the center and Erickson Eck over a guy like Besser, but this team needs goal scorers. Well, so you just said something that's really important. Most teams will defer to taking a centerman over mm-hmm. a pure goal scorer. That being said, I remember talking to P.K. O'Hanley, who was a head coach in Waterloo when Brock was playing there, and uh, he just kept telling me all the time, this guy's going to be a massive goal scorer in the league. I watched Joel Erickson Eck play in the World Junior. You know, I watched him play for his club team in Sweden. He's a really solid, reliable player. You need to have players like that to win in the NHL, mm-hmm. but you also need to have guys that can score. So that's where it comes down to, do you want the Minnesota guy or do you want the other guy? And that's, right. that's where you, it's, it's a hard decision. It's not as easy as everybody thinks. Uh, Erickson X is going to have a really long career, and so is Brock Besser. They're going to have different numbers too, Mike. They're, both their numbers are going to be different. One guy's going to get a ton of goals, and the other guy's going to have a real good plus-minus, but he's not going to get a ton of goals. Right, exactly. As we've seen uh, so far, the Wilds' uh, top three, uh, bottom three centers on this team have a combined like 11 goals, which is hard to win. Um, so here's the elephant in the room question. What the heck do you do now? I mean, this team, again, is middling. They're fighting for a playoff spot. The worst thing that could possibly happen is maybe, you know, getting even closer and missing out. Um, you know, how much does this team need, especially in a pretty top-heavy draft, to maybe bottom out here? Well, I don't know about bottom out, but uh, nobody likes to create those standards organizationally, Mike. Right. Once you do that, you get in trouble with some of your older players. And you've got some older players here that are going to be here for a while still. Zach's going to be here for a while. Ryan's going to be here for a while. Mark's, or Eric Stahl's going to be here for a while. So you don't want to create a poisonous atmosphere around your room. 
I would say that Billy will probably get aggressive going into the trade deadline, Mike. I really believe that. Um, there are some players that have serious value around the league. I prefer not to say their names because I like all the kids and I don't like to play that speculation game. But I got to think Billy's going to get aggressive going into the deadline, which would be very good for the organization. And remember one other thing. Kirill Kaprasov is around the corner, and Mike, he's legit. Like, he's a big-time player. He's a really, really good player. Do you uh, – for a guy like him who isn't – he's no longer 18, 19 years old. He's going to be 22, 23 when he gets here. Do you think he could step right in next year and be a star, or is it going to take a while? He better step right in and be a star. I mean, he's been playing – outside of the National Hockey League, he's been playing in the highest quality league in the world, you know, in the KHL. I watched him in the Olympics a lot. <laughs> Two years ago in Pyeongchang, I was there doing the games. He played on a gold medal winning team. He was a hugely important part of that team. Um, the one thing that has always stood out to me about him is his skill level, and he's really good playing a puck possession game, and he got to do that. If you're going to be an offensive point producer in the NHL, you got to be able to do that, and he can do that really well. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Again, theathletic.com slash straight from the source will get you in. So many good articles today. Uh, Craig Custance's story on the uh, the agent poll was outstanding. I think uh, Wild fans will want to see who the teams are that uh, that usually get listed as uh, on the no trade lists and what these agents think of Bettman and Donald Fair and, and all that stuff. I'm talking with NBC analyst uh, Pierre McGuire. Um, my buddy Reed Schaefer is your you know we as I always tell you uh, Reed. Uh, biggest fan is, is you. So uh, once he signed an autograph, it's still up in his uh, s- still up in his office. Um, let me ask you this: uh, You used to be a sports writer. People don't know this. Not only were you a coach and and all that stuff, but uh, you wrote for SI. I remember you wrote for Joe Starkey's uh, hockey page in the Tribune Review. Uh, what's harder, writing or, or analyzing? Uh, I think you have to have passion for both. Writing's different. It's a different exercise than analyzing. Yeah. The one thing about writing is you always have an eraser or a delete button. <laughs> you don't have that when you're doing an analysis on live television. Uh, I, re- I was an English major in college. If I hadn't made it in hockey, my plan was to go to law school. Um, but I signed a pro contract with a team in Europe and then was fortunate to get signed by New Jersey after that and then went right into coaching. So that law school stuff kind of got put on the back burner. But my long-term plan was if you know hockey didn't work out that I was going to go to law school. I just I still love writing. You know, it's kind of cool. My daughter's a freshman at Dartmouth, and uh, she's an athlete there, and she takes so many cool courses, but she'll always send me her scripts before she hands them in, her papers. And I, I was like, wow, did you write that by yourself? And she goes, yeah, I did. I go, that's awesome. You know, and I'll make a couple little subtle corrections here or there, but I just, I'm fascinated by, you know, how younger people process information because they do it much better than I ever did. I can tell you that. Yeah. You know, I, that's the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is how good of athletes your, your kids are. I remember, I mean, some of the cool moments I've had with you just over our friendship over the years is you know, during the, the Winnipeg Vegas series a couple of years ago, going out with all the broadcasters. Uh, every, every time you're in town with Kenny Albert, uh, we, we always go to dinner. Um, you're, you're, your uh, daughter is a star rower, and your son is a great hockey player that might play for a certain wild players team in Wisconsin. Well, he already has. Yeah, yeah. He's played for. Yeah. He was drafted by the Madison Capitals in the USHL. Um, he's played. I want to say he's gone out there four or five different times. He really likes um, the Suter family, and obviously the city of Madison's a pretty cool place to go play junior. Uh, he's a prep school player right now in Massachusetts at Belmont Hill School. Um, there's, you know, the central scouting list just came out. He was 136. They rate the top 210 players from around the world. So, 
we'll see what happens this summer. It's kind of a neat thing. He was born in uh, northern Quebec, saint agathe des monts which is about <laughs> is 60, 70 miles north of Montreal. Um, so we'll see the drafts in Montreal. My mom's 83, so she's kind of hoping that wow. he gets drafted this summer. But we'll see. We don't know. It's still really early. He's heard from a bunch of teams. and Colleges you know, also? He's already committed to Colgate. Okay. He uh, committed to Donnie Vaughn and, and uh, Dana Burgess and, and Brett Riley probably in October. He's a junior in high school right now. and He's got to make the decision, does he go play – Back at Belmont Hill, does he go play in the BC Junior League or does he go to the USHL? So he's going through all that trial and tribulation right now. Uh, let me ask you, i got a ton of questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one from Johnny Connor, uh, who's an aspiring play-by-play uh, -play guy at the okay. University of Minnesota. Um, and a lot of people are fascinated with, with the stuff that they don't get to see, and that's being be between the benches. Um, who would you say are the best trash talkers in the NHL? Matthew Kachuk is right up there. He probably influences a game as well with his mouth as any player in the league and he's really good at it and he doesn't swear a lot he's just really smart he's he's just so pointed and he can get he's like a thumbtack if you sit on a chair and the thumbtack's there he's one of those guys and you don't see it there and then all of a sudden oh man he just totally ruined my day yeah so well, Matt, he ruined the wild last year Matt, matthew's, Matt matthew's really good at that yeah. matt dumba's actually pretty good at it too he's not bad <laughs> at it too so there there uh sean avery used to be very very good at it. he's no longer in the lead yarko rutu maybe was one of the best ever Played in Vancouver and played in Pittsburgh. Yarko was very good. But I'd say in today's game, Matthew Kachuk's probably at the top of the list. That's funny. Uh, Miko Koivu, best friends with Tumo Rutu, uh, Yarko's brother. Uh, what is the most heated rivalry in your opinion in the NHL? I have a feeling you might go the same route. Yeah, well, the Calgary-Edmonton thing's really starting to take on yeah. some flame. Pittsburgh-Washington's been nasty ever since I coached in Pittsburgh back in the early 90s. It's been a terribly vicious and hard series. Boston, Montreal's a whole lot of nasty. Um, you know, so I think one of the things that's going to happen here, though, the Rangers are trending in the right direction, Mike. The Islanders are trending kind of in the right direction, even though they've fallen off a bit this year. And I think the Devils are real. I think Ray Shiro got fired this year. No way should have been fired. But I would just tell you this, they're trending in the right direction, too. That New Jersey-New York triangle – of animosity might start mm -hmm. to percolate a little bit. So th there's a lot of budding routers, but right now I think the hottest one is Calgary-Edmonton. Uh, what's your favorite battle between two players that you get to see a few times a year? Oh, Vetchkin and Crosby's really good. That hasn't gone away anytime soon. They're always compared to one another. Um, so I would say they're probably still at the top. And, and it's, you know, it, they like each other, I think, but when it's hockey time, they don't like each other. Right. Um, a few players that aren't household names that should be. Uh, Alex Barkov in Florida for sure. Um, he's hurt right now, but Barkov's a phenomenal player. He's Patrice Bergeron with, you know, just offensive flair. What is picked by Dale Talon in the Florida Panthers? He's one. Um, Sebastian Ajo in Carolina doesn't get nearly enough credit. By the way, both have lit up the wild this year, Barkov and Ajo. Oh, there so. you go. And then there's another one uh, who I think, Jacob Slavin in Carolina, mm -hmm. is a star player, and nobody talks about a kid out of Colorado College. And they have another defenseman there, Brett Pesci, at the University of New Hampshire that's, my goodness gracious, if he, if he plays anywhere else, Everybody's like, man, this guy's really good, but he plays in Carolina. Nobody knows who they are. Yeah, and Carolina's uh, a team that's looking at both Brody and, and Dumba. And one more to think about, because I think his star's about to rise, is Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Pierre-Luc Dubois is really good. Man, that team this year, they just play. Like, they, they call it the minor leaguer, and he gets, uh, gives up two goals in two games. So the biggest, thing, the biggest thing going on there is John Tortorella's never coached better. Brad Shaw is one of the most mm -hmm. underappreciated assistant coaches in the league. Brad Larson's done a great job. I was part of the Ottawa 
organization when we drafted him. I'm so proud of what he's done. But them hiring Paul McLean midseason, mm-hmm. the former head coach in uh, in Ottawa, assistant for a long time in Detroit and Anaheim, that guy's a good coach. Yeah. So you look at their staff, they're re- they're winning because their players are listening to the organizational message. Yep, and best mustache in the NHL <laughs> since, since Lanny McDonald. Uh, Josh Kramer uh, asked, should I bet the house on the Blues repeating while I'm in Vegas for a friend, of course? All right, you know what, Josh? I think they have a legitimate chance to win. I was just down in St. Louis for the All-Star weekend, and, and I told one of their uh, upper management people they got a legitimate chance to repeat. They really do. they got to stay healthy, obviously. And the biggest question mark is what do you do with Alex Petrangelo? because he needs a contract and they haven't got him one yet so we'll see how that works out but I would say that they got a legit chance to repeat a lot of these defensemen are thanking Jared Spurgeon and his contract before the season seven and a half million bucks that's a big one Roman Yossi I know used that one as a matter of fact Tori Krug Tori Krug (laughs) when I tweeted his uh the Jared Spurgeon numbers Tori Krug liked my tweet so I think that was a little uh that was a little message to the Boston Bruins at that time um here's a good one from SR um your passion for the game is well documented but what do you like to do outside the rink do you always spend uh every second thinking about hockey. I do, except for when I'm with my family, and even then, because of my son, and, and we talk hockey a lot, but I'll give you an example. Yesterday was an off day in Minnesota. I went to go visit a real good friend of mine, Natalie Darwitz, who's the head coach at Hamlin, yeah. call, Hamlin University, so I went and watched her team practice. Then I met the young ladies, talked to them in their dressing room, left the rink, went back, I turned the bean pot on, I watched Harvard Northeastern, then I watched Toronto, Florida, then I watched BCBU, which went late into the night. Um, and so I'm always doing hockey, but I just tell you this outside of hockey, the most important thing to me is my family. Yeah. Um, here's a good question from Zeke Boyad. He says, it's safe to say that people who work in the public eye on TV, like you receive a fair bit of criticism, fair or unfair. Does it even bother you or do you just not pay attention? to it? I don't pay attention. I mean, if I do something wrong, I'll be the first one to acknowledge it and say, man, I got that wrong. I'm just, but there are a lot of angry people out there, and I know one thing. I prepare for every game like it's a game seven. My coworkers and I get along fantastically well. Um, I love the people that I work with in our trucks around the country. Uh, so I haven't had any problems with them. And NBC's been a phenomenal employer, and I'm really grateful. I'm looking forward to going to do my third Summer Olympics for them this summer, yeah. you know, over in Tokyo. So. Um, I don't really pay attention to the to the evil noise or the nasty noise because everybody's got an opinion. They're entitled to that. But uh, if my coworkers start to tell me I can't stand working with you, then I worry about it. The uh, the uh, the you mentioned the Summer Olympics. What are some of the sports that you like doing the most down there? I remember watching you when it was down in Brazil. I do water polo. That's what yeah. I do. So basically, water polo is kind of like hockey in the water. Mm-hmm. And um, the American women are unbelievable. They're the best in the world. And they have a player by the name of Maggie Steffens, who's a Stanford grad. And her first Olympics was London. And that was her real coming out party. And she was just dominant there as a going to be her freshman at, Dar- at uh, Stanford. And now she's long gone and graduated. Uh, phenomenal family. Great. But most of the young ladies, believe it or not, Mike, they love hockey. Mm-hmm. And so they're huge fans. And a lot of them are from California, so they like the Kings, they like the Ducks, they like the Sharks. So it's kind of neat. I go there, I watch them practice, we talk, and they're they're asking hockey questions. I'm asking water polo questions. Right. It's kind of neat. Yep. Uh, Zeke also asked, and you mentioned talking to Natalie Darowitz's team yesterday, uh, uh, Hamlin, um, you know, with the status of women's professional hockey over the last year, what do you think is the best possible solution for all parties involved to continue to grow the women's game? I think they're probably going to try to have a four- to six-team league. And, and go forward from there. Um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time. I would say this. The NHL are doing their best to try to make this work. The women's game has never been better. The best thing that's happened in the women's game 
the, the speed and the tempo's always been there, but now the ladies' shooting is getting better. Mary Philippe Poulin probably shoots the puck as well as any woman in the world, and so she can score from 15 to 20 feet. Back in the day, you couldn't. So what's happening now, rather than all these teams collapsing around the net, which is hard to score, you know, they used to have one nothing, 2-1 games, now you're seeing – you know, ladies that can score from 15 or 20 feet, so you can't pack it in anymore. It spreads mm -hmm. out the defense, and that accentuates the skill level of the women playing. So it's really fun to watch the evolving play of the women's game. And I would say that at some point in hockey areas, so whether it's Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts, upstate New York, maybe lower New York, you're going to start to see uh, professional women's teams in those places. Again, we're talking to Pierre McGuire, NBC analyst uh, for a long, long time, former sports writer as well, coach as well. Um, um, Paul Hess, uh, here's a good one. Uh, if you're GM of the Wild right now, what would the move you'd make prior to the trade deadline? Uh, I'd want to try to build my offensive brand more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So I'd be looking for younger forwards or maybe because they've been drafted by other organizations that maybe they're prepared to move for older players. Um, but I'd be looking to add to my offensive side of things. It is interesting. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk that the, that Billy Guerin would maybe trade Bourdain or Dumba. It just seems also because there's really almost no deadline for Billy to make these decisions right now that unless you can get centers, um, which is where this team really lacks right now, um, that that's you know you know that's what you have to use them for, and if it's just going to be for wingers or other defensemen, that you know it's just not worth it yet. People don't give centermen away. You think about it, Mike. I'll go back to a long time ago when Joe Thornton got traded by the Boston Bruins for Wayne Primo, for Mark Stewart. Um, I, I remember saying at the time I was in Colorado, I was doing a hit for NBC, and I said. This is a trade that's not going to work out really well <laughs> for, and Marco Sturm was the third yep. person in that trade. This is a trade that's not going to work out very well for Boston. It's going to be huge for San Jose. Now, has Boston gone on to win the cup? Absolutely. Has San Jose, since Joe Thornton's been there, been a phenomenal organization? The answer is yes, they have. They, people don't give centermen away. That's, that's the hard one. So when you can find one, you usually draft them or you trade for them, and they're hard to trade for, so you got to draft them. Boston also gave up Sagan. Maybe that's where the where Billy's got to look. Well, that was a different kind of <laughs> yeah, trade. Yeah, that was absolutely a different one. Um, Reed Alberts asks, uh, does he like Garen as the wild GM, and how good do you think Kaprasov will be as an NHL? You talked a little yeah, bit about that. I think Kaprasov's going to be a real good NHL player, probably 55 to 75-point guy, which is a really good NHL player. It uh, depends, obviously, the role that they create for him. In terms of Billy, I think Billy will do a good job there. It goes back to what I said before. A lot of guys get managers' jobs. They've never been trained to do them. Billy's a worker. Billy's been trained to do it, and he's worked for some phenomenal people. So you learn through osmosis, too, and I think that's one of the things that's really going to help him. Here's a good uh, one from uh, James uh, Pukowski, who's a, a, you know, a longtime Twitter follower of mine. Um, most underrated head coach in the NHL, and assuming Bruce Boudreau is not back with the Wild next year, um, who would you like to get the job? The most underappreciated head coach in the NHL is Todd Reardon, I believe. Todd Reardon in Washington, most people don't even know he's a head coach there. But if you look at his body of work over time, and you know, I know they got beat last year in the first round, uh, major upset by Carolina, but they're they're a good team. And look at the way they're playing this year. I mean, Todd's a tremendous coach. He's coaching two All-Star games. He's won Stanley Cups. I mean, he's he's a really competent coach. So I think he's probably of all you look around the league. 
He's probably the one guy playing in a coaching in a major market that nobody talks about. And then the other guy, I think, is Brindamore. I think Rod Brindamore yeah. is really, really good in Carolina. Yeah. Nobody even knows he's there. So I, I chatted with him the other day on the phone on the day that uh, Eric Holla was getting scratched uh, for disciplinary thing. Uh, had a little blow up there, and then. And then, uh, then they have they play that one game after the break. Nino shows up 35 minutes into practice, and he gets scratched. Oh, yeah, no, it's equal opportunity <laughs> with Rod. <laughs> um, the other part of Severance's guy's uh, question here is, um, you know, there's a lot of good coaches that are potentially available if Bruce isn't back. Not that we don't yeah. want, you know, we all want I don't like, to I'll tell back. you that, with all due respect to the questioner, I don't like to speculate yeah. on coaches being fired, and I'll tell you why. I've been fired twice as a coach. It's not a pleasant experience, and more times than not, the coach isn't getting fired because of something they didn't do. They're getting fired because of something other people didn't do. Right. The scouts didn't do a good job. The manager didn't do a good job. So <laughs> coaches take the bullets, but it's some other people that have made some mistakes. And in this case, you know, it's tough for Bruce. He's, this is his third general manager that he's yeah. working over the course of his contract. Crazy. Not an easy situation. Yeah. Um, Gallant still the most shocking, one of the most shocking firings you've ever? Both. Yeah. When he was in Florida and when he was in yeah. Vegas. When I heard about the Vegas one, I, I was dumbfounded. I agree. Pete, I had to look twice to make sure it wasn't. Pete DeBoer is a very good friend of mine. I've yeah. known Pete a long time. And, you know, Pete and I have gone through World Junior together. And we've done a lot of different things. Stanley Cup final when he was in San Jose, when he was in New Jersey. You know, a lot of different things. But, Mike, I was shocked when he when um, Gerard got fired. I do think there'll be a soft landing place for him. I just don't want to tell you where it is, but I think he's going to be getting, getting a job sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, how was the uh, interview process with the Minnesota Wild? Uh, well, they asked. Uh, it was good. Um, Mike Madonna was part of it when I went through it this past time. The one that I really appreciate was the first time I went through a couple of them with Mr. Leopold and, and Jack Sperling. I, I was blown away by Jack Sperling. I thought he was just yeah. outstanding and that was. I remember talking to you about it afterwards. I said, you know, I, I really like Mr. Leopold and the way he carries himself. Jack Sperling, though, just his vision and his passion and his knowledge and his intensity, I really was impressed by him. Jack uh, Sperling is uh, still very involved in the NHL. He obviously was a big part of, of getting the Minnesota Wild here back with uh, Mr. M- Mr. Nagley, the late, great uh, Bob Nagley, and uh, down in Tampa, and he's even now in part of Seattle. He's a big part of this. He went he went down to Tampa, and I was a runner-up to that GM's job too. Mr. Sperling called me and said, we're going to make a managerial change. We like the interview, so I did, and I did more than one interview there, and it came down to Eisner and myself, and they made a good choice. Steve won the Olympic gold medal that year with Canada in 2010, and then they called me up and they said, uh, we're going to hire Steve Eiserman. We hope you understand. I said, I completely understand. Yeah. Um, do you, you know, the, actually Benjamin Hartle asked a good question, which might be a little tough, but do, do you consider yourself a, a legit candidate, or do you think a lot of these owners are bringing you in because you're such a hockey-knowledgeable person? I mean, who sees more hockey than you that sometimes maybe they're kind of ripping off your ideas? Oh, I think some, I won't tell you all the teams I've interviewed with because some of them people don't even know because I've been sworn to secrecy and I'll never share, but I think some of them are, are exploratory things in terms of picking your brain. Um I know the people that have gone to bat for me that are high-profile NHL people who think that I'm a legitimate candidate. But, you know, I, you don't apply for those jobs. Mm-hmm. People call you if they're interested in you, and I've never applied for one manager's job. People always contact you. Uh, I really you. do appreciate uh, you joining, especially on a busy morning for you. Um, your thoughts on three-on-three overtime? I'm not, sure, I'm not a fan of overtime gimmicks. Three-on-three is unwatchable for me, uh, which actually shocks me. This is Greg. 
Greg asking this. Greg, with all I don't know which overtime games you've been watching, Greg, but I can Probably tell Minnesota you Minnesota Wild. Yeah, ones. so I, I watched <laughs> Vancouver the other day with Carolina in the Super yeah, Bowl amazing. Sunday afternoon. You watch that overtime, and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, yeah. that's big time overtime. I've seen an Ottawa Montreal overtime game that was crazy. I've seen a, an Ottawa Toronto overtime game that was off the chart. I mean, I do a lot of games. I do over a hundred games a year between playoffs and regular season. I don't see too many bad overtimes that are three on three. Um, it's funny. I watched that game, the Carolina Vancouver on my phone. And, uh, to me, I mean, it just maybe I've covered the Minnesota wild too much. My favorite part of that overtime was jar- watching Jordan Stahl's back check to ruin the chance with about 10. That was a huge left. play in the yeah. game. That was a gigantic yeah. play. In and it game. wound up winning them the game because Justin Williams gets the shootout winner, which shootout I'm not the biggest fan of. But. No, I'd like to see them just get it done. Yeah. And if you, if you don't get it done, just have a tie. Yeah. Just have a tie. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jacob Macy asked a great question for you. Because uh, it's not exactly a question, but it might be a fun thing to play a bit of an association game to test his encyclopedia-like knowledge. Uh, throw out a few locations like Shattuck, War Road, and Lakeville to see uh, what comes out of your uh, head first. Well, Shattuck would be Jonathan Tave, Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, Zach Parise, J.P. Parise, Andy Murray. War Road would be the Christians, um, would be T.J. Oshie would be Brock Nelson, uh, Lakeville would be Charlie Lindgren, Brady Shea. I mean, <laughs> pretty special places. You know, one of the things that I love when I was scouting, especially early in my career, even recruiting when I was at St. Lawrence, going up to Grand Rapids to the Maroon and Gold, going up to Virginia, going up to Moorhead, uh, going into Duluth, you know, watching Bloomington Jefferson play, recruiting a kid out of Edina by the name of Mike Twilliger who came to play for us. I mean – I have so many good memories of coming out here and, and scouting all over, so that's something I'll always remember. Um, here's a really good one uh, because, you know, a lot of times, especially with the hot mic, you have to sometimes turn it off between the benches. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite chirp that you've heard between the benches? Uh, asks. That's a good question. One of them was Yarko Rutu a long time ago. There was a kid called up. Um, I want to say he might have been called up by Montreal, and Yarko was playing for Pittsburgh. And he looked right at him right around the corner from where I was, and he said uh, – I apologize, young man. What's your name and where are you from? Because I've never seen you in this league before, and I'm not sure if I'll ever see you in this league again. <laughs> it was, and he didn't swear, he didn't yell, he didn't scream, but he just—he was just trying to get in the kid's head. My favorite Cal Clutterbuck one was uh, we were in Dallas, and uh, he was just giving it to Stefan Robida, and Robida, <laughs> Robida had the full cage because right. he must well, take facial injuries. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then Clutterbuck was just giving to him, and Robida was losing his mind. And I asked Clutterbuck in the locker room after the game what he said and he goes I told him to roll down the window I can't hear you <laughs> that's a good one uh, uh, Clutterbuck uh, the Islanders uh, uh, writer for us Arthur Staple just did his team specific poll and Clutterbuck was a landslide winner for best shirt oh, I bet team. he wouldn't yeah, no, Cal's very good at that yeah. no question um, Brett Marshall um, asked what was it like recording clips for NHL games a few years ago was that the EA Sports or, or, or I'm not sure uh, I don't know that question well, okay I don't know that one okay um, what's your most memorable uh, game that you've done between the benches Oh, my gosh, there's so many of them. Uh, I can't really – I mean, the, i tell you one that was heartbreak. The, uh, probably the 2010 Olympics, the gold medal game between Canada and the United States, and I just remember Crosby screaming, and you could hear him, Iggy, 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 talking to Jerome Ginla to get Ginla to pass from the puck, and then he snapped it by Ryan Miller. That was heartbreaking that one of those – either one of those teams had to lose, so that was one that I'll always remember. Um, Chicago winning their first cup in 2010, the Patrick Kane goal, no goal. I heard Kane come by, it's over. And I was like, 
it's over. I pushed the talk back to the truck. He just said it's over. He knows it's in. So nobody really knew that puck was in. Yeah. So that's one that I'll always remember. Um, there are a lot of them, but that those are some of the more memorable ones. Yeah. Kane uh, is by far my favorite player in the league. Uh, one is a guy to just deal with, but two uh, – to uh, just to watch. You know what's amazing? I remember when he was younger, Scotty Bowman lives in Buffalo, and uh, I remember Scotty telling me, he says, there's a kid in Buffalo, his name is Patrick Kane. I don't know if he's going to go to college or junior, but I'm just going to tell you he's going to be a star player. And then I remember doing the uh, 08 World Junior. Actually, it was the 07 World Junior in Lexan, Sweden, and I couldn't believe Kane played on Team USA. They lost a heartbreaking shootout game to Jonathan Taves and Carey Price in Team Canada. But I remember uh, how good Kane was. And I was like, the last time I saw a guy in big ice protect the puck the way Kane does was Peter Forsberg. I was part of the group that drafted Marcus Naslin, who was Forsberg's line mate in Arnskoldvik up in Moto in Sweden. And I couldn't believe how Kane, good Kane was yeah. at that age. And Bowman nailed it. Scotty nailed it when he was probably 14 or 15. He said, this kid's going to be unbelievable. And he I, was right on. I remember meeting Kane in 2007 during the Stanley Cup final in Anaheim. And I look, I'm like, that cannot be the number one. <laughs> like, he looked like he was 12 years old. But if you remember when he came out, just he, he ripped up Canadian yeah. Major Junior playing for London Knights. Yeah. And everybody tried to kill him. You can't hit what you can't catch. Yeah. You know, and that's why I said the last guy that I saw protect the puck like he did on Big Ice was Forsberg. I couldn't believe yeah. how good he was at that. Uh, Patrick Kane, uh, first ever NHL game was in this building. Um, uh, here's a good one from Andrew. Um, what is Pierre's favorite arena to call a game between the benches? Um, I know my favorite one watching you call games was Joe Lewis Arena. <laughs> you couldn't fit in. You had to do a little extra work in the gym to get ready yeah. to fit in that box. Um they're all good. You know, the one thing I would say that it's hard because regular season games aren't like playoff games. But when you get down, you know, in a playoff environment and people are just going off, it's an amazing experience. It really is. It's as close as you'll get to getting back to coaching again. So every rink's kind of equal when it comes to that in the playoffs. During the regular season, I don't know, Chicago's pretty darn hard to beat. It's, yeah. it's hard to beat Chicago. Let me ask you uh, finally um, uh, just about, because you have to go do this KFAN interview, just about this upcoming draft. I mean, there are some great players, top-heavy players in this draft. Who who are the top guys in your mind? Well, Lafreniere is a kid that played for Canada at the World Junior. He's really, he's the legit guy. Yeah. He's a generational player. He'll go number one. I don't know who's going to win the lottery, but there's probably, rather than giving you names, I would say anybody picking in the top 12 is getting somebody that can really make a difference for their team. It might not pay off right away, mm -hmm. but it's going to pay off pretty quickly within a year or two. Where the depth, I think, of this draft is really going to be shocking. Within four to five years after this 2020 draft, from the third round to the seventh round, there are going to be players that are come out and people are going to say, how did that guy slip that far? Yeah. There's some, and a lot of them are American-born players. There, I'll give you an example: a former Minnesota Wild first-round pick, Alex Tuck. His brother Luke, he's probably going to go in the second or th late second, middle second round. He's legit, big-time good. Yeah, I, I've coached him. He's played with my son. 
Um, I've coached, I've watched them play against my son. I, I'm just telling you, he's yeah. a really, really good I, player. I've seen him play too. In fact, um, I saw him play in, I think it was Blaine. Um, so my friend's son, Landon Slaggard, plays yeah, for, on Luke's yeah. team. I know his, I know his father. Yeah, yeah. so Andy Slaggard, the yeah. Notre Dame assistant coach, has uh, is, is been a friend of mine. And, and so all three of his kids, Graham just scored the winner the other night on a breakaway for Notre Dame. His two sons, At Carter and Landon, also going to Notre Dame. But yeah. But they were here the other day watching a morning skate because they were playing the Gophers, the under-18 team for the U.S. And uh, and so I first thing I said to Landon, I'm like, where's Tuck's brother? <laughs> so, He's so, a big guy. He's yeah. a powerful guy. They're an amazing family. They're from Syracuse, New York. They're an awesome yeah. hockey family. Um, their father's a really proud guy. It's, it, the grandfather's an amazing guy. No, the Tucks are cool yeah. people. They're yeah. Really cool. Tuck, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing was... <laughs> <laughs> when he said that he found out that he was being uh, sent to Vegas from my Twitter account, so that was uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah. A lot He's of such people do guy. that with you, Mike. Yeah, You're yeah. good at that. So hey, Pierre, really appreciate Anytime it. Uh, for you. Yeah, this was an awesome podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us straight from the source. And uh, yeah, you have a bunch of wild games coming up I too. I do. Right, I'll Pierre? see you this Saturday and Sunday. Wow. Actually, before the Sunday game with Colorado, I'm going to go watch. Uh, Hamlin play this weekend, Saturday afternoon. That'd be cool. Maybe I'll go start. with you. I, I'd at love the tree, to watch. At the Tree Arena. I'm yeah, yeah I'd love to there. go watch yeah. uh, Natalie's team. Yeah. So, Pierre, thanks a lot. Anytime. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.